Take your Bibles, join me please in John chapter 17. It's good to be back in the pulpit on Sunday mornings, amen? I love this church. Not everybody get excited at once. I've loved this church since we first showed up in June of 2001. It's a special place for me and my family, and I'm sure it is for you as well. I had planned to say more, but as I was getting my thoughts together, it accidentally turned into a sermon. I'll give that tonight. And so if you can be back tonight, please do so. So we're going through the gospel according to John on Sunday mornings. I want you to look with me in John chapter 17 as we come back to our series after a three-week break. And let's read verses 6 through 19. The Bible says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest to me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now as we begin a new section of Jesus' prayer this morning, we find Jesus praying specifically here for the remaining 11 disciples. And we are now beginning to zero in on what many call John chapter 17, and that is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. We're beginning to see that office manifested here in this prayer. Notice what he says at the beginning of verse 6. He says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou hast given me out of the world. Now this word manifested is defined by Strong's Concordance as render apparent. The Greek word is also translated in our King James Bible as appear and show. I looked up the word manifest in Webster's 1828 dictionary, and we find there that it is defined plain, open, clearly visible to the eye, or obvious to the understanding, apparent, not obscure, or difficult to be seen or understood. And many would simply define manifest as to make known. And that's the meaning here. Jesus says, I have manifested thy name, or I have made it apparent. I have shown to them. I have made your name plain, open, clearly visible. 
I have made it obvious to their understanding. I have not made your name obscure or difficult to be understood. And when Jesus says, I have manifested thy name, he is saying that I have manifested to them your character, God's character, God's attributes, who God is. And simply put, Jesus here, he manifested to them who God is. He revealed God to them. And when I want you to know, this is the essence of the Christian life, to make God known. We saw in verse 3 what eternal life is. Eternal life is to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. But why are we here? Jesus prays later on. He says, Lord, don't take them out of the world. Why are we in the world then? Because we need to make God known. We are here for that purpose. We are to make God known to others, both the lost and even the saved, because the saved still need to grow. Amen? In the first five verses, we talked about our need to glorify God in this life, and we see now the primary way that we do this. And many Christians are wrapped up in what God's will is for their life, and that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But we get wrapped up in some of the details before we ever even are doing the things that are clearly revealed for us. And it's clearly revealed for us that our Christian life is to be us making God known to others. And if you're not doing that, dear friend, I'll tell you this morning, God's not going to reveal to you the other things that you're seeking for. Because we have to do that which is least before we're entrusted with more. And you say, I don't know if God's calling me to this or that, or if He's calling me over here or over there. God will make that plain in time if you'll just stay faithful to Him. But in the meantime, and whatever it is He's calling you to or where, the bottom line is this, make God known. Our roles in life encompass many things overall. But whether you're a husband or a wife, whether you're a mother or a father, a son or a daughter, your purpose is to make God known. No matter our station in life, no matter if you're an employer, an employee, your job is to make God known. Whatever it is God has you doing this day, you say, well, this isn't really what I want to do down the road. That's fine. You still have one purpose. That's to make God known. Sometimes we wear many hats in life. I'm a son, a brother, a husband, a father, a pastor, a teacher, a trainer, a school administrator, a straighter, financial overseer, counselor, administrator, as much as I hate to say it, a planner, just to name a few. But the bottom line in all roles that we have in life, make God known. Make God known. You say, well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. You got the wrong attitude. You have the most important job in the world. Amen. You say, well, I just work a mundane nine-to-five job. You've got the wrong perspective. You're on the mission field to make a difference for God. You're there to make God known to others around you. This is why we gather three times a week to make God known. When we assemble together, we open the Word of God for the sole purpose of making God known. We're here because we desire to know God better and to hear from His Word, how it applies to our life and how we can know Him through the Bible. This is why we teach Sunday school and junior church, to make God known. This is why we run the buses, 
to make God known. This is why we have teens and children's programs. This is why we have a music program. This is why we preach at the jail and the nursing home. This is our goal. This is our purpose. This is why we invest. This is why we give to missions. This is who we are. And the very essence of our life is that we might make God known. That's why we print the Word of God. So that we might let others know about the Lord. This is why we have a school, an academy, that we might make God known. We do all that we can do, not so we can look at ourselves and say, look at what we've accomplished, but that we can see God do such great things that people have to step back from that and say, there must be a God. How could they be able to do that? How could this little bitty church in Rapid City, South Dakota, in the middle of the nation, send over six million John and Romans around the world? Because there's a God in heaven. It makes God known. God had Noah build an ark to make God known. God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees to make God known. God raised up Joseph to make God known. God told Moses in Exodus 9.16, For this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. God raised up Joshua to make God known. God raised up the judges to make God known. God raised up godly kings to make God known. God sent the prophets to make God known. God raised up Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to make God known during the Babylonian captivity. God brought John the Baptist on the scene to make God known. God sent Jesus to this earth to make God known. Jesus gathered His apostles and sent them out into the world to make God known. God brought persecution to Jerusalem that He might scatter the disciples throughout the known world for one purpose, to make God known. Paul passed it on to the next generation saying to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. God gave us His precious Word to make God known. Some say, I'm too old. It's time for me to take a step back. Oh no, friend. Psalm 71, 17 and 18 says, O God, Thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared Thy wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed Thy strength unto this generation and Thy power to everyone that is to come. You still have a job to do, amen? Amen, senior saints? You still have a job to do. You're here to let us know, the generations coming up after you, that there's a God in heaven that does wonderful works. I love it when our choir sings, Jesus saves. I like the entire song, but I like the part that says, Hear the heart of heaven beating, Jesus saves. We're to make God known. We're to preach the message of Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, listen, God has raised you up for the purpose of making God known to others. That's why you're upon this earth. Are you proclaiming the message that Christ was born of a virgin? That He lived a sinless life? That He fulfilled the law of God? That He gave His life a ransom and that His blood can wash away every sin? He died in our place upon the cross and that He was buried and rose again the third day and now ascended to the right hand of the Father? 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptation. 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's our message. First Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So first of all, are you proclaiming the message of Christ today? Are you proclaiming the message of Christ? Are you making it manifest? Are you making it known? Are you making it plain? Open and obvious to the understanding? Are you making sure it isn't difficult to be seen or understood? Some will say, I can't do that. You don't understand. I get too nervous. I don't know what to say. You have no problem talking. Everybody in here can speak. And you have no problem speaking. But you just have a problem speaking about what you don't want to talk about. Amen. Some say, I can't do it. Yes, you can. The message of Christ is so simple that even a child can understand it. You don't have to debate difficult passages. You don't have to debate the hot button issues of our day. You just need to make God known. And then you let the Holy Spirit work in the heart. Now, if you're making God known to others, what do you do next? Well, you do what Jesus is doing in this chapter. And you pray for them. Amen. Jesus said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Jesus is now praying for those that he has spoken to. We studied Jesus' discourse in John chapters 13 through 16, where Jesus taught them about God. And now he's praying for the ones he just taught. He talks to his disciples about God, and now he talks to God about his disciples. And this is the proper combination we need to have when we're witnessing. Talk to people, yes, but then pray for them. If you talk to your children about God, you ought to pray for them. If you talk to your spouse about God, then you ought to talk to God about your spouse. Talk to your friends and your coworkers about God, sure, but be sure you pray for them as well. We must pray for them. Why must we pray for them? Because the Bible says when the seed is broadcast out there, then the fowls want to come and eat it up. And Jesus equates the fowls to the wicked one who comes to catch away that which was sown in the heart. We must pray for them because the seed will fall upon stony places where there's not much earth. Forthwith they spring up, but they're scorched. And they wither away because they have no root. And Jesus equates this to those who will fall because of persecutions and tribulations. And we must pray for them because some seed is going to fall among the thorns. The thorns will come up. It'll choke them. It'll, the Bible says it'll choke the Word. And it happens because of the cares of this world, the Bible says, the deceitfulness of riches. And Jesus said, these are the ones who become unfruitful. Why must we pray for them? Because we want the seed to fall into good ground. Amen. Jesus said, the one who hears and understands... This is the one that will be in good ground. And He'll bring forth 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. We must pray for them. This is why. We want the seed of the Word of God to fall into good ground. You say, preacher, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm telling others about Christ. I just don't seem to be very effective. Well, I want you to think about what I'm about to give you here concerning Jesus' prayer. 
This prayer of Jesus is recorded in 26 verses. In the first five verses, we find Jesus praying for Himself. Then in verses 6 through 19, we find Jesus specifically praying for His remaining 11 disciples. And finally, in verses 20 through 26, we'll find Jesus praying for us. So generally speaking, this means that Jesus is praying for Himself 19.2% of the time. Therefore, the other 80.8% of the time, He's praying for others. Or to put it simply, one-fifth of His prayer was only for Himself. I would ask this question, could it be we're not as effective as we ought to be because we don't have a very effective prayer life? Could it be we focus too much on others and not ourselves? I'm afraid many times we're like the five-year-old son who was riding with his dad to go to McDonald's and get a milkshake, and on the way they came up to a head-on collision in the road, and the father turned to his son and, and suggested that he start to pray. And the boy immediately began to pray, Dear God, please don't let this car block our way to McDonald's. <laughs> Unfortunately, many of our prayers can be just as selfish. And I realize Brother DeGarmo just preached on prayer last week, but I reckon the Holy Spirit wants some more said about prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself. Jesus prayed for Himself. We need to pray for ourselves. And frankly, there are personal times that are so desperate that praying for ourselves is about all we can really seem to do. When Peter was drowning, it was not the time for him to pray for everybody he could think of first before he said, Lord, save me. Right? At that moment, in that situation, Lord, save me. He just needed to pray for himself in that moment. We understand those times. But I wonder how many of us have a prayer life like Jesus' example here. There's many examples of Jesus' prayer life throughout the gospel, but here in particular, do you spend 80% of your time praying for others? How's your prayer life? We don't understand, I'm just too busy. R.A. Torrey stated this, quote, we are too busy to pray, so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions. Much machinery, or we might say many programs, but few results, end quote. I'll tell you this morning, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. You realize you're not that important in the world? There's 7 billion people on this earth. How many of those are going to care when you pass off the scene? Not many. I remember our pastor in Korea, he was an ex-motor pool sergeant. He used to say to us there, he said, if you die, they're just going to get the next sergeant and bring him in. The mission is going to go forward. That's true. We're not that important. You think you're so busy because you're so important, you're not. I remember my dad used to work for a guy who said, if you're too busy, do less. Works like magic. I adopted that in my life, and it's way less stressful. I think we can so easily pray for ourselves because we know ourselves the best. This is why Brother DeGarmo said last week, if you want to effectively pray for somebody, you really need to get to know them, right? We need to get to know them in order to effectively pray for them. But perhaps this is the problem. Perhaps we don't get to know others as well as we should. And I'm guilty of that. And I want you to understand, I I know how difficult it can be to 
effectively pray for others sometimes because we simply don't understand what all they go through. I can pray for a mother giving birth, but I've not been through that. Hallelujah, what a Savior. (laughs) Amen. For example, I used to sit out where you're sitting, and I prayed for my pastor. Prayed for my pastor often, but it wasn't until I became a pastor, especially the first week I became pastor, something major happened in our church. (laughs) I called my previous pastor, and I said, I am so sorry I didn't pray for you as earnestly as I should. And we had a good laugh about it, but... I think sometimes we just don't know what all is required, and therefore we don't pray as earnestly as maybe we should. And I'm not suggesting if you've never been a pastor, you don't know how to pray for your pastor. Uh, Your prayers are effective. Amen. Amen. I'm just highlighting sometimes I don't think we appreciate the earnestness in which we should pray for others because we don't fully understand what all is involved behind the scenes. Many times it's because we just haven't been through what they are going through. We're always grateful to hear somebody's praying for us. I am. I like to know people are praying. I love getting the cards in the mail. Uh, some of you write notes and so forth. And, and it's always good to hear somebody's praying for you. But in some situations, would you agree, it means just a little bit more when somebody comes alongside and says, I've been through what you're going through, and I'm praying for you. There's something about that kind of intercessory prayer where somebody knows exactly what we've been through. And regardless of how well we can identify with someone's situation, we still need to pray for them as effectively as we know how. Nonetheless, I remember... A preacher in Mississippi, he had bought some land. They were going to clear it out and make it a family camp, and they were throwing trash and debris onto this fire, and they had this box of junk that was on the property, and they threw it onto the fire. Well, inside of that box was a propane canister that nobody knew about. Needless to say, it exploded, and it severely burnt his little child, two, three years old. And they had to life flight him to Birmingham. He lost some of his face, all this stuff. And it was just... A terrible experience and everybody was letting him know we're praying for you we're praying for your son and he said but it, it meant just a little bit more a preacher found out in in Alabama came over to the hospital and said hey I had the exact same thing happen to my son and I want you to know I'm praying for you and he said he prayed for him in that moment and he said you could tell there was something just a little bit different because he had been through it kind of like some of you who have battled cancer I don't understand what that's like. I hope I never understand what it's like, to be honest with you. But when somebody else can come alongside and say, I've been there, I know what you're going through, and I'm praying for you, it can mean just a little bit more to identify with that person. Now, I want to take these these ideas, and let's apply them to what I'm saying this morning. We're to go out and we're to make God manifest to the world. We're to pray for the lost. If you're born again, if you're saved, then you should know how to pray for the lost. Because you once were lost. You should be able to come up alongside somebody and say, hey, I know it's a lot to take in. I know you're still searching for answers. I understand what's going on in your heart and mind. I've been there myself. I remember before I got saved. And we should be able to identify with them in prayer. And then we should be able to pray more effectively for them as a result. But let's not forget that Jesus here, he's praying for believers. He's praying for these men who have put their faith in Him. And even after salvation, as we give the Word of God and we make God know more deeply, we need to pray for the hearer because it should be our sincere desire for Christians to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And so as you help others along, pray for them. Amen? Amen. After you teach that class, pray for them. After you preach... Pray for those who are present. 
And as you grow in your walk with God and you learn how to better pray for those who are having God made known unto them more, you know better how to effectively pray for them that they may grow as well. It's not just praying for the lost to be saved, but we need to be praying for the saints too, our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. In Ephesians 6.18, it says, Praying always with all power and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So are you praying for the saints? Let me ask you this. Are you praying for those in our church? Is it important enough to be here on Wednesday night when we gather together corporately to pray for our church? Do you get to know the people well enough to effectively pray for them? I believe many of us this morning would admit, yes, I need to have a more effective prayer life. I know I'm in that company. And clearly, God wanted us to hear something about prayer a second week for a reason. Maybe that's what's lacking in our church. I want you to listen to these following passages, please. Bear with me. Listen to how prayer is made for others. The prophet Samuel told Israel in 1 Samuel 12, 23, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good in the right way. Acts 12, 5, Peter was in prison. It says, Peter therefore was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Do you understand what they're saying there? They're not saying we were praying that we wouldn't get arrested. That we would avoid persecution. They were praying for Peter. Praying for others. 2 Corinthians 1.11 He also helping together by prayer for us. Ephesians 1.15 and 16 Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Philippians 1, 3 and 4, I thank God upon every remembrance of you always in my prayer of mine for you, making requests with joy. Colossians 1, 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Colossians 1, 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Colossians 4, 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 1-2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5-25, brethren, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 1-11 and 12, wherefore also we pray always for you that God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness in the work of faith and power. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, finally, brethren, pray for us. 2 Timothy 1.3, without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night. Philemon uh, verse 4, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. Can you say you're praying like this? What helped to make the Apostle Paul so effective? It was his prayer life as he walked with God. It was his prayer life that made him so effective. And I think about the disciples as they walked with Christ. They saw Him do many wonderful things. They saw Him open blinded eyes and deaf ears and 
They even saw him raise the dead and he raised the lame and he did all these things and he stands upon the bow of the boat and he rebukes the wind and the sea and the, they look at him and they go, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? But you know what they asked him? Lord, teach us to pray. Not teach us to raise the dead. Not teach us to rebuke the wind and the sea. Not teach us any of the things. Because they understood that directly commensurate with Jesus' power was His prayer life. How's your prayer life? Some of you can't even stay awake in church. How's your prayer life? I bet you fall asleep in prayer, don't you? I do. My dad used to say, if you can't fall asleep, pray. The devil puts you to sleep. That's true. I'm with you. How's your prayer life? That's your power. You say, I'm not as effective as I want to be when I witness, and I sure wish more people would receive the message. Boy, I'm glad you're making God known, but if you're not praying for them, you're wrong. We've got to pray for those that we give the message to. And can I tell you this morning, I need your prayers. Please pray for your pastor. I feel funny saying that. Romans 15.30 says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. I need your prayers. Many of you have heard of Prado's Principle. I don't know. How many of you have heard of Prado's Principle? Uh, actually, none of you have. Praise God. Thank you, Mike, in the back room. Must be an Air Force thing. I don't know. Um, yeah, <laughs> he gave me the thumbs up. I don't know who Prado was, but he's got a principle. It's called the 80-20 rule. It's been applied in a number of areas. It's remarkable how true it is. You may have heard examples like this and may not have known it was Prado's principle. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. 80% of consequences come from 20% of the causes. The top 20% of earners pay 80% of the taxes. How about in your prayer life? Are you praying 80% of the time for yourself and only 20% of the time for others? Or are you one who prays 20% for yourself and 80% for others? You understand what changed in Job's life is when he prayed for his friends? Oh, he was praying for himself. But then he prayed for his friends. How about our prayer corporately as a church body? I wonder if it can be said of our church that only 28 or 20% of the people are doing 80% of the praying. You know, we need to make God known. But then we have to follow it up with fervent prayer. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's pray.